take and turn with me, please, to Romans 12. The screens do help us because uh, sometimes I get just, uh, I don't give you enough time, but uh, today we'll look at some and others. You can just listen as I read. And you may want to make notes. I want to, I'm sharing a truth with you. This is the third part of a series that I've entitled A Christian Worldview. It is so important that we as believers understand that whenever we got saved, when we gave our life to Jesus, Jesus transformed us. He, he put us into the kingdom of God. And we've learned some of these truths in a couple of the Sundays past. And we're no longer of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. It's like a, it's like a boat on water where you can have a boat in the water, but you don't want it to be of the water, okay? And uh, we're, not, we're not of the world, but we are in. We're not to be... Um, isolated from the world because we live in the world, right? But we are to be insulated from the world. There is a new nature that you receive whenever you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says old things are passed away, all things are become new. When we are in Christ Jesus, we're a new creation. So not only do we have a new person, but we have a new residence. We are pilgrims passing through. We live for kingdom purposes. We're a peculiar people, the Bible says. And God, in, in, uh, he encourages us throughout the scripture to come out and to be separate from the world. Now, Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And in verse 1 and 2, this is what he said. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. And in this passage, we learn that we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be different. And Christians are to look at things different than the world. That's what I'm talking about when I say a Christian worldview. You know, there are sometimes I hear people talk and I see decisions that are made that affect our lives. And I hear politicians and I even hear some religious people talk sometimes. I hear worldly people talk. I hear uh, movie stars and athletes and people of prominence, people on the news. And I say, where do they get that thinking from? Because their whole way of thinking is so different than the way I view things as a believer. And the Bible says it's because they walk in darkness and they're, they're of this world. But as Christians, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're to have a little different worldview, well, a major different worldview than the lost person, the person without Christ. So Paul said, be not conformed to this world. Now we read a passage a few weeks ago that said we're not to love the world. We read another passage a few weeks ago that said we're not to be friends of the world. In fact, there's a verse that says if you're friends with the world, you're an enemy with God. So we need to understand, church, what it means to be, uh, to have the proper, as believers, the proper world view. And, and Paul further illustrates this in Ephesians. I just want to share this with you. If you will, go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look, if you will, in the first uh, three or four verses there. He said in verse 1 of Ephesians 2, You hath he quickened, that just means he's made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And by the way, isn't that reason to celebrate and worship? We're dead people who've been made alive. <laughs> 
I mean, we've been given life, not only the hope of life eternal, but the reality of life abundant right now. I've never understood why Christians sometimes can go to a football game or a basketball game or whatever, and they can yell like Comanche Indians and come to church and sit like wooden Indians. I, I mean, we are people who have been made alive in Christ. We have new life in Jesus. And the Bible here says, You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. Okay, now here he's making a clear distinction. Before you were a believer, you walked according to the ways of the world. Okay? Now, and you were led by the prince of this world who is the devil, the enemy. So he's making a distinction here. He's talking about the way we were before we're saved. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or behavior in times past in the lust, that is the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So here Paul is describing the person before they're saved. Their worldview is driven by lust, by desires of the flesh. They just have a, a different worldview. Okay, but now look what he says in verse 4. And here's what he's placing the life of the lost person in contradistinction to the life of the Christian. And he's showing the dichotomy between the two. And he says in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, you got a new location. You've got a new address as a believer. You're not of this world. Now, the devil has three basic ways that he wants to influence our worldview. Uh, there are three ways that uh, it is so easy to become worldly and, and, and to slip back in to that perspective on life that you had as a non-believer. And so I want you to, I want you to see uh, in 1 John chapter 2, I want you to go there for just a moment. 1 John chapter 2, because here he describes a person that has a worldview that is not led by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see what he says. 1 John chapter 2. And uh, let's look in, uh, let me just read verse 15, 16, and 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he's telling us here, 
don't, don't be in love with the world. So that raises the question, okay, well, what is the world? What, what is he talking about? Don't be in love with the world. Well, he describes it in verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All right, let's, let's focus now for just a moment on what he says in verse 16, because here he is describing what, what we are not to be. Sometimes in order to understand what you need to be, you need to understand what you shouldn't be, okay? And this is what he's describing. He says, for, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... Now, when he talks about the lust of the flesh, the word lust here is not used in the same sense exactly that we normally think of in our vernacular when we think of that word. It's really a word that means desires, the ambitions, the, the, the desires of the, of the flesh. The Bible says we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. He's not saying that our body, our, our flesh and on our bones is evil. That's, the flesh is the Bible's cryptic language to refer to our old nature that we received from Adam. That old way of living before we became believers in the Lord Jesus. We talked about that in our last message. So I want to move on now. Not only the lust of the flesh, he said, but then he said the lust of the eyes. Now, if the lust of the flesh deals with our passions, the lust of the eyes deals with our possessions. Uh, he's really talking here about covetousness. The desires of, of, of did you know that your eyes could have desires? You, have you ever heard the old saying, feast your eyes on that? Your eyes can have an appetite. It's the eye that looks on things and desires to have them. It is really talking here about the sin of covetousness and idolatry. He, he's, he's putting covetousness in contrast to contentment. And he says it's worldly. It's, it's a Christian worldview whenever you're constantly trying to satisfy the flesh, your passions, the flesh. And, and, and you have a wrong perspective on life whenever you're looking at what other people have and you're not content with what you have. You know, you don't have to go to a nightclub or to a bar or to a casino to be worldly, right? You can sit in church and have desires of the eyes. You, you can be worldly uh, when, if you're just caught up in the fads and fashions of this world. There's nothing wrong with nice things unless that is your world. It, it's the eye that looks on things and wants to have them. You can be worldly. You can have a, a wrong perspective on anything in life. Homes, automobiles, clothes, decor, sports, 
hunting and fishing, playing golf. If those things is what you, if that's what catches your appetite. So he says the lust of the flesh is a characteristic of a wrong worldview. The lust of the eyes. But then he says the pride of life. Now, here's, here's what the Bible is teaching us. It, it, the lust of the flesh deals with our passions. It deals with what we are doing. The lust of the eyes deals with our possessions, or what we're having. And the pride of life deals with our position, what we're being. It, when he talks about here the pride of life, you know, worldliness is constantly a, a wrong worldview is whenever you're just so consumed with yourself and, and with your position in life instead of contentment in Jesus and who you are as a believer in the Lord Jesus. You can get, you can get worldly. You can have a wrong worldview. I, I've got a, 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 a little series of messages that I think I may preach in the near future about the sin of pride because it is a deadly sin. But I'm telling you, it's the pride of life. Did you know that's the reason there are some people, and you may not know anybody like this, but I've known some people who buy things they don't want with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. You ever seen anybody like that? You know, the Bible says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. You know, one of the verses that's always driven me in, in my ministry is when Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little things, you just be concerned about the little. If you're faithful in the little things, in his time, he'll make you ruler over much. But worldliness is when the devil deceives you. Now, listen, into doing something, this is really this is really the crux of, of, of how the devil gets us to have a wrong worldview. He deceives us into doing something we have no business doing. That's the lust of the flesh. He deceives us into having something we have no business having. That's the lust of the eyes. And he deceives us into being something that we have no business being. That's the pride of life. And so he distorts the good desires that God has given you relative to passion. God wants us to be, <coughs> excuse me, God gives us our desires. He gives us our passions. All the desires and passions that we have are God-given. The problem is we try, to we try to satisfy them in ungodly ways. The devil tries to distort the desires we have for possessions and position. But that's the system of the world. All right, I want you to stay with me because we're going down a little deep this morning. I want to tie some, I wanna, I wanna tie some strings together that are sprinkled throughout the scripture. We've got some threads here. But I want you to see that this is nothing new. The devil, you would, you know, some people think that the devil is smart. He's, he's using the same old strategies that started in the Garden of Eden. And church, I just want you to be sensitive to this. Let me show you how the devil will lead you into 
worldliness and looking at things in life the way the world does instead of the way Scripture and the Holy Spirit leads us. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3 for just a moment. We're not going to stay there but a moment. But I want you to see something. I want you to see that the devil is still doing the same thing the same way. You think we would learn. But in Genesis chapter 3, it says in verse 1 and following, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You will not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. I just want to point out three things to you. The very first temptation that the devil gave in the Garden of Eden was to get Adam and Eve to change their worldview. They lived in the Garden of Eden. They saw things from God's perspective. But all of a sudden, the serpent came. And here's what he did. He appealed to their passion. The lust of the flesh. It says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, hunger is a God-given desire. But you can satisfy any desire that God gives you in an ungodly way. And the very first thing the devil did was appeal to Eve's flesh, passion. She saw food. It was good for food, the lust of the flesh. Look what it says in verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. The devil came along and he appealed to not only her passion, but to her possessions. She saw something and thought, I've got to have that. Oh, it is so good looking. It's so pretty. It's so nice. How many times has the how many times has the devil caused us to sin because we saw something and we thought, I gotta have that? And it wasn't God's will. But then he appealed not only to her passions and her possessions, not only to the lust of the flesh and the lust of, of the eyes, but to the pride of life. He, he appealed to her position. And this is what he said. He, it, she looked. 
not only was it good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, it was a tree desired to be desired to make one wise. In other words, I can be like God. I can know good and evil. Oh, I can be elevated here in the Garden of Eden, the pride of life. The devil came along and tempted Eve with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But he didn't stop there. Because you see, right after Jesus was baptized, the Bible says he was led into the wilderness. And while he was in the wilderness, the devil came along and tempted him. Now, folks, the devil is dumb. He's using the same old thing. Thousands of years later, he shows up on the mountainside. Jesus has been led out into the wilderness. And I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4 and just let me show you this real quick. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Well, the Bible says after Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. The number one desire of his flesh was hunger. And the devil comes along and says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? In other words, he's tempting Jesus. He's appealing to Jesus. He's appealing to the lust of the flesh. Oh, in verse 8, he says, and the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of therein. And he said, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world, the devil said. That's how he tempted him. You know what he's doing? He's appealing to the lust of the eyes. He took him up to a high mountain. He said, look at all this. Look in verse 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He will give angels charge concerning thee, and in thy hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Hey, Jesus, you want to arrive like an all-star in your new kingdom? The pride of life. Why don't you cast yourself down, let the angels catch you. You see what the devil's doing? He did the same thing to Jesus he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's appealing to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But I got to tell you, Jesus didn't have an itch that the devil could scratch, amen? And he overcame. And it is in him and him alone that we are going to overcome. We don't overcome in our power, in our authority. Satan's temptation is to fulfill legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. He wants us to do something, to have something. You know, God, listen, God wants the same thing. He wants us to do something. He wants us to have something. He wants us to be something. But only Jesus can ultimately fill our passion and our possession and our positions. The Bible says we are joint heirs. We are a kingdom of priests. And overcome, listen, overcoming worldliness, and I was trying to make this point two weeks ago, is understanding who we are in Christ Jesus. 
you know, the Bible constantly tells us, you know, we, we as believers, we're, we're motivated, we're guided by our heart, but we're also to use our mind. We're to love the Lord God with our soul and our mind and all of our being. And we've got to think whenever we're confronted with things of the world. Do you know how to have the proper worldview? It really begins with the way you think. You remember that verse I read to you at the beginning of this message in the last three messages? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. I just thought of a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Um, I think this is it. I actually did not write this down. Yep. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know what Paul said? He said, don't let your minds get corrupted by who we are in Jesus. Understand who we are. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's a sin when we give in to that temptation. But did you know that sometimes whenever we give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, did you know it begins with a thought? The devil knows that if he can get you to think wrong, it won't be long before he can get you to do wrong. Somebody put it like this, an old proverb. It said, sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. But it sometimes begins with a thought. The devil knows if he can get us to think wrong, it won't be long before he'll get us to act wrong. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Folks, the way to have a proper worldview is to discipline your mind according to Scripture, to look at things, abortion, to look at things, laws, to look at things politically, to look at things morally, to look at things with a disciplined Christian mind that's guided by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It begins with the way we think. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I was a student at Samford University, I had in my dormitory, I put a little saying. I, I, made, I took magic marker, put it on a... Uh, poster board thing, cut it out and taped it above my little desk that I had in my dormitory room at Pittman Hall at Sanford University. And this is what the little saying, this is what it said. It said, a man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. That's all it said.
But if you punctuate that sentence right, this is what it says. A man is not what he thinks he is, but what he thinks he is. That's what, I believe that's what God was saying in Proverbs 23. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You ever heard anybody say you are what you think? It's amazing when I was in the eighth grade, I didn't turn into a girl. But, but, it begin, but it begins, it begins with a thought. And, and it's not a matter, listen, it's not a matter of not, it's not a matter of sitting around trying not to think of the wrong things. I'm going to close with this, but look in Philippians 4, 8. I, look in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. See, the your mind, God so engineered your mind that you can't think two thoughts at the exact same time. And so the way to, the, the way to renew your mind, to protect your mind, to, to get your mind focused on things of the Lord is by putting that which is holy into your mind, that which is good. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. <laughs> and the best way to overcome bad thoughts is to put good thoughts in your mind. Don't sit around thinking about, well, I don't want to think bad thoughts. If I told you, you know, it's amazing how the devil works. If I told you whatever you do for the next 30 seconds, do not think about a giraffe. I don't want a single person to think about a giraffe. Don't you let that thought go through your mind. Giraffe. What it would look like. What color it is. Don't think about it. You know, if you sit around trying not to think about something, that's about all you can think about, right? <laughs> and Paul says the way to renew your mind, it begins with a thought because when you sow that thought, you're going to, you're, you're going to reap a habit. You think about it before long, it won't be long before you start doing it. You start doing it long enough, and then you're going to reap a character. That's who you become. And you become that kind of person, and you die in that condition, then you reap a destiny. And for people who are investing in just the world and not the kingdom of God, I said Philippians would be my last verse, but I'm going to just close with the passage that we started with uh, 1 John chapter 2 verse 17 G the Bible says listen the world pass away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abides forever if, if you spend all your time investing in this old world your return on your investment will be zero but he that doeth the will of God, who's guided by a godly Christian worldview, because they are in the kingdom of God, they are a new creation, they have renewed their mind, he says, shall abide forever.